0: We are so much more than anxiety. We are so much more than depression. We are so much more than an eating disorder. Like, I am not my diagnoses, and neither are you.
1: Hello and welcome. I'm Lori Hardy. Thanks for listening in as we continue to talk with leaders in our community. With me today is Julie Allen, the founder of the Mary Rose Foundation, named after her mom. After her battle, Julie's, with anorexia and bulimia, she realized that people would need help to pay for treatment for eating. Eating disorders. She says too many eating disorder patients are struggling to pay for their treatment. Mary Rose Foundation provides financial assistance in the form of scholarships for inpatient and outpatient treatment. She says they also provide youth with mental health education and outreach. With their help, the future generations can create a strong foundation of mental health, knowledge, body positivity, and self love. Thank you so much for joining us today, Julie. Why don't you tell us a little bit about your organization.
0: Hi, thank you so much for having me. I am very much looking forward to being here and chatting with you guys. You're the founder? I am. So I founded the Mary Rose Foundation just about three years ago. We are a nonprofit 501c3 that helps fund treatment for people suffering with eating disorders. I had anorexia and bulimia for 15 years growing up and the cost of treatment is incredibly expensive. So that's just a little bit about us. We also work on the prevention side of things, we're developing a couple of pretty large outreach programs that are going to help People just have better self esteem, love themselves, all that jazz. There's two different kinds of anorexia, right? There's a restrictive kind where the person purely restricts their calories. And then there is a binge purge anorexia, which looks a lot like bulimia. So technically, I had binge purge anorexia, but it's easier to say anorexia and bulimia.
1: Can we talk a little bit about your story? When I was 10, I developed
0: obsessive compulsive disorder. I was super hyper focused on germs. and like you have these obsessive thoughts and you do these compulsions to like get rid of them, right? And so I was focused on germs. And so I washed my hands all the time, right? To try and rid myself of those thoughts. And that is actually incredibly common in people with eating disorders, the OCD, anxiety, depression, all that stuff. There's often that crossover. So that started when I was 10. And then, so by the time I was 13, I developed anorexia. So that was another like obsession and compulsion for me. I was obsessed with my body calories and all that. And I compulsively starved myself, exercised, binged and purged, whatever. And so it went on and on. So I started when I was 13 and I was hospitalized for the first time when I was 14 and then just multiple countless times between then and my early mid twenties. And the last time I was in treatment, I was in my mid twenties and it just got to the point where I couldn't do it anymore like I had attempted suicide a couple of times and I knew that I had to make a change or I was going to die so I did I checked myself into a residential treatment center and that was the first time I actually willingly went to treatment prior to that I was an adolescent so my parents had I don't want to say forced me to go but they saved my life by forcing me to go when I was in my early 20s is when I finally decided that I had to get better or else I was going to die and I knew deep down that I did not want to die i wanted a family someday and i wanted i wanted to get better i just didn't know how
1: i have known several people i remember about tw- probably 25 years ago i was in a a group with a woman that was anorexic and and they talked about it and they said she's probably going to die because she She Mm -hmm. won't stop. That haunted me. It's a whole different mindset, which you explained coming from OCD.
0: Yeah, it is definitely a mental disorder. People don't choose to have an eating disorder. Anorexia, bulimia, they're not choices. They're a disease. It is an interesting, and I hate to say it like this, but I knew I was going to die. Probably 80% of me, the eating disorder part, didn't care. Like, I was so sick and so just in my disorder that nothing else mattered nothing else. My family didn't matter. My friends didn't matter. Nothing else mattered besides being able to starve myself. It's a sad realization, but anorexia actually has the highest mortality rate of all mental illness. There's a lot of things that are sad about that, but a really sad piece is that a good portion of those, approximately half of those people that die end up dying by suicide. It's huge. That is a huge number. It's not a choice. Anorexia is a painful, dark, um, dark state. It, it's really hard to describe other than it was sheer um, an overwhelming amount of pain that you are in. You can't control it.
1: I have so many questions. What are some myths? My heart mm. is so heavy to hear this. Gosh, how awesome that you made this choice because it wasn't easy. You started a foundation. I'm just thinking how hard it is. What are some of the myths I think one of the biggest myths about eating disorders in general is that they
0: are about weight because, which is sound, again, it sounds so funny to say that because it's like, well, okay, you're starving yourself because you quote, think you're fat. No, that is a very tip of the iceberg. The reasons that people develop eating disorders, it's very complicated. It's biological. They are highly heritable. That's psychological. Like I mentioned, the obsessive compulsive disorder, anxiety disorders, depression, autism, actually, there's a lot of crossover between eating disorders and all these other diagnoses that we see. But then you also have the societal factors. Like we have diet culture, which is just ingrained in all of us the fact that we need to fit into this certain box in order to be accepted in order to be enough like they all those factors really work together to develop an eating disorder it's not common eating disorders are not common about one percent of the population has anorexia so it's not that common disordered eating on the other hand Lori, is incredibly common and i would argue a huge portion of the population has a disordered eating pattern, but an actual eating disorder is not that common. So the the biggest myth that I hear a lot is that the person just wants to lose weight. And it's just a diet gone too far, Mm -hmm. which is not the case. It really is a mental disorder. And the person is trapped in this pattern of starving, binging, purging, whatever their behaviors are. It is a very dark, dark place. And it's not about weight.
1: It it just makes me feel really sad and like, you must be so lonely. I think about one of the stations in our group is a Christmas station. And every time I hear Karen Carpenter, because oh, I know. because of that, there were some shows that came out, but still it made it sound like it was a choice. During Christmas, I was in the car with my youngest, who is actually 28. He doesn't know her history. Of course, he knew she was Karen Carpenter. He said, mom, her voice is so beautiful. And I just again, I was overwhelmed with such sadness. So yeah,
0: the misconceptions around eating disorders are difficult, right? And there is such a sense of it being such a surface disorder, right? Like it's about your weight. It's about wanting to look a certain way. And it's so sad because that Karen Carpenter was such a beautiful person Uh, Princess Diana. is another example that comes to mind, right? These women that are, you know, have so much talent and so much, so much time left. And then they're so sick with the eating disorder and they can't get out of it. They end up dying. I mean, I know Princess Diana obviously did not die of the eating disorder. It's still such a sad thing because having experienced an eating disorder, I understand the sheer amount of pain and overwhelm that they were in. And it's just, it's sad. It is absolutely heartbreaking to know that their lives were cut short and to know how much pain they were in. Did people around you know beside your family? They did. They did. I was pretty young. You know, I was in my early teens at the time when it started and it was hard. I couldn't hide it. There is a lot of a lot of secrecy around eating disorders. I hid how sick I was for sure, but I think people knew mm. I really do. Did people try to force you to eat? Oh my gosh, yes, all the time. all the time. And I was so irritated with it at the time, but that was all that they knew how to do, all that they they were trying to help me. and that was logically what I needed, right? Like I just needed to be forced to eat, and it did it didn't really help.
1: Then when your body has shut down because of you haven't been eating, you can't just start eating, right? No no,
0: no, it was, it was, it was hard. I ended up being hospitalized again, multiple times because my heart was actually starting to shut down. Your heart's a muscle. When you're starving yourself, you're not getting enough nutrients to your muscles and your heart is one of the main muscle in your body. So your whole body starts to shut down. So people from anorexia will usually die of either suicide or heart related problems. Really? Like I've known several people who were in their teens that have had heart attacks from their eating disorder. Wow. It's hard Heartbreaking. I mean, again, there's so many misconceptions and so many things about an eating disorder that are not true.
1: Somebody's listening that either knows someone, has someone in their family, or themselves has an eating disorder. So, what can you say about these misconceptions?
0: I want you to hear that an eating disorder is not your fault, that you didn't choose to have it, and not one thing caused it. And that there is hope. First and foremost, my message is one of hope because I never thought I would get better. Honestly, I had some doctors tell my parents that I was never going to get better. And that is not true. I did get better. There is hope no matter how ill you are, no matter the things that are going on in your head, because I felt so trapped I felt like no matter what I did, no matter if I wanted to get better or not, I felt like the eating disorder was so strong that I was hopeless. And I want you to hear me that you're not hopeless, that the person in your life that you think is never going to get better, they can they can get better. And there is a life on the other side of an eating disorder.
1: So two things. One is, what did recovery look like for you?
0: A lot of ups and downs. So when I first made the decision that I was actually going to get better, again, I was in my mid-20s and I went away to a residential treatment center. And that was the first time in my life where I had thought that I actually deserved the chance to mm-hmm. try and get better which is, again, a little bit hard to say. I, being as sick sick as I was, like, I hated myself. Like, I 100% hated myself down to my very core. Um, And I blamed myself for a lot of things, right? Like, I was raped when I was um, in my late teens, and I totally blamed myself for that, right? And so a lot of the, a lot of these things happened. And I just hated myself. So making that decision to start the recovery process was huge for me. And it was not easy. I'll tell you the thing that helped me the most was learning how to treat myself with compassion. Cause I, like I said, I hated myself. I really, really did. But then I was like, okay, I can't treat my 25 year old self with compassion But, you know, I can look at that girl who was 10 years old who couldn't stop washing her hands and my heart goes out to her, right? Mm -hmm. That version of myself that was innocent and did not know what was happening. You know, I didn't know why my brain was making me wash my hands 50 times a day. Mm -hmm. I didn't know why I couldn't stop washing my hands until they were cracking and bleeding. I didn't know why I was afraid to leave the house and I didn't, I didn't understand. And so... I could treat that person with compassion. And that is how my journey of recovery started. It started with self-compassion on the younger part of myself. And then it was just so on and so forth from there, right? Mm -hmm. Like once I could treat that person with compassion, I could look at that 13-year-old girl and say, I am so sorry. You did not know how to deal with life. So you had to starve yourself. And then I can look on that 18 year old girl who was in a relationship that I didn't know what was happening. I said, no. And I blamed myself for so long for that rape. But once, once I could look at that person and have compassion on her, it just grew from there. And again, recovery is not easy. It is incredibly up and down. Like Mm -hmm. I still say I'm in recovery. It's been over 10 years, But I still am in recovery because you always have to be aware of the fact that eating disorder is a lifelong thing and you just have to know your triggers and you have to continue to practice that self-love and
1: self-compassion ongoing. So many women do have such self-loathing because yeah. of all those things. And I think that is such beautiful wisdom for anybody to be able to look in the mirror and begin to love yourself because that's when we yeah. make a difference, right? You've learned exactly. to love yourself and now you're helping others. And I just appreciate so much you telling your story because I know how hard that is. And I love that you go, this is hard to say.
0: It is. It It really is hard to say. It's hard to admit. And there's Unfortunately, a lot of shame still around mental health and the stigmas that are surrounding mental health. And one of my biggest missions besides helping women, empowering women to love and accept themselves for as they are, is to also end that stigma of mental health, because that is not okay. Like we are so much more than anxiety. We are so much more than depression. We are so much more than an
1: eating disorder. Like I am not my diagnosis, and neither are you. I love that so much. I work with a lot of homeless women and they'll say mm-hmm. my OCD or my, and right. I'm like, no, it's not yeah. yours. It's not who yep. you are. Language is so important because number one, we hurt people with our language when we discredit, like you said, there's myths of, well, it's a choice, right? So we discredit Correct. people, but Also, in our own self, when we discredit ourselves with the language of self loathing and that. And so it's like recognizing it and then turning it around. So tell me about your foundation.
0: Yeah. So I started the foundation, it's been about two and a half years ago. And I always had this idea. Well, first of all, I want to backtrack just to here and say eating disorder treatment is so expensive. So for somebody that does not have insurance for full residential care, which means that they they go away to a facility and live typically between two, three, four months is the recommended length of stay for somebody in residential treatment. We are talking $1,400 to $2,200 a day. (gasps) A day. So... It's, it it is out of this world expensive. And oftentimes insurance companies do not cover treatment. My parents had to take out a second mortgage on their house to afford my treatment. Again, I mean, I was hospitalized multiple times, right. But they, they really struggled financially because of the burden that eating disorder treatment is. So I always had this idea in my teens and my twenties, like, okay, someday I'm going to pay my parents back someday in my head at that point in time, it was, I would, I was just going to pay them back. Right. Mm -hmm. And so a few years ago I had this, wild idea (laughs) that I told my husband who he was used to me having crazy ideas, right? Like, this is just how I am. I just have these ideas and then I do the things, right? And so we also have a women's clothing boutique that focuses on size inclusivity, body positivity, uh, empowering women to love themselves. So I started that about three years ago, and then I wanted to do a fashion show. It's like, okay, I want to do a fashion show for the, for the boutique that I own. Mm -hmm. And I wanted the proceeds from the silent auction to go to a foundation. And I didn't really know what I was doing at this point, but I said, okay, what cause am I passionate about? Oh yeah. Eating disorder, eating disorder recovery and helping people have access to treatment. So I looked around for a foundation for a charity that I wanted to work with for this, for this fashion show that I was putting on for the boutique. I couldn't find one. So I told my husband, I said, okay, well, I can't find one. So I'm going to start my own.
1: <laughs> I love that.
0: And he was like, are you crazy? I said, yes, but that's okay. Cause we know this already. Right. So I ended up founding my own nonprofit. Cause I I wanted to do a fashion show and I could not find a charity that I wanted to work with. So we started our own and this was two and a half, three years ago. And it has just continued to grow and continued to evolve since then. So now not only do we actually fund treatment for people's eating disorders, which I have to tell you in 2020, we funded three people's treatment for eating disorders, three people in 2020, mind you, which is a Christmas miracle, (laughs) the boutique, a portion of all sales from our boutique go to the nonprofit. So it was able to really, it it really worked out okay this last year, but we do fund treatment for people with eating disorders. And we're also in the process of developing outreach programs for parents and for youth, because our goal is to have parents heal our own relationships with our with food and with our bodies so that our next generation does not have these same struggles that we did. So it's just continued to grow and continue to evolve. Tell me what outreach program for parents would look like. Yes. So we are working with a couple of therapists and a teacher actually to develop these programs. The first, it's actually set to launch in June. So I'm very excited about it. But you know how as parents, it's not our fault, but my mom was always on a diet. Her Mm. mom was always on a diet this day and age, right? We are still bombarded with all these messages of if you are not thin, you are not good enough, right? If you eat X, Y, and Z, you are bad, right? Mm. This idea of moralizing food, like it's a, it's a, french fry like it's not bad like what did it do there's no morals attached to food
1: say that again moralizing food moralizing food
0: that is what we do these days and that is not okay like your food it's not good or bad it just is oh. it's it's a french fry it's a salad okay cool so our focus with these education programs that we are developing are to first and foremost heal ourselves so we can break the cycle So our kids have the coping skills and have the tools to learn how to love themselves. And they know what to do to stop this cycle. Cause there's a cycle. Like I read the statistic that two thirds of teenage girls would rather be quote, mean or stupid over being fat two thirds. I mean, and I think like, we all know that, like, we all know that fat phobia is a real, real problem in our society. But just to read that teenage girls would rather be mean or not intelligent over being in a larger body, like that's, it's just not okay. And we have to do something. So we are. I hear it in your voice.
1: I hear this. Wow. I'm, I'm. So I had a question I'm so impressed with. Like you said, it's like when you say the statistic out loud. Yeah, it hurts, doesn't it? Yeah. It hurts. So I work with uh, women in recovery, you know, from homelessness Mm -hmm. and drug addiction. And Uh what happens right away, they get into recovery, they gain a ton of weight. So guess Mm -hmm. what? They get out and they can't stand being fat. That's what they say. I can't Mm -hmm. stand being fat. So they get back on drugs. I'm really sad, but I'm really excited Listening yeah. to you, it's this awareness to help people, help parents, right? Because we're, mm-hmm. we don't listen to our parents. But I know if your parents on a diet and always going, "Oh, I'm fat," a kid's yeah. gonna mimic that. Exactly, and
0: I I always want to be careful because it's not it's not our anyone's fault, right? right? Like, and I want to make that very clear. Parents Mm -hmm. do not cause eating disorders. If your child is suffering with an eating disorder, with addiction, with any of those things, like it is not your fault, Right. right? But there are things that our kids are seeing us do that can create that buffer. If I'm looking in the mirror and my stepdaughter is almost 10 years old and I have two little boys as well. But if, if any of my kids see me looking in my mirror, and saying I'm fat, or I'm this, or I'm that, or, you know, the list goes on, right? Right, Like they're still seeing that and they're still going to emulate us. So I want to be very clear that it's not your fault if you, if your children has an eating disorder, but there are things that we as parents can do to create that buffer that, so they will not develop an eating disorder or an addiction or promiscuity or any of that stuff. The list goes on and on.
1: I love what you say about it's not their fault, but what happens when a parent decides it's their fault, then it yeah. makes it about the parent and it makes yeah. it so hard for the child then to get well or get help. Yeah. There's a
0: lot of guilt. Like it, it's not just, it's not just eating disorders, but mental health in general, like there's just a lot of guilt and a lot of shame around it. Mm-hmm. So we need to stop. Well, <laughs> we need to love- just.
1: I love the work you're doing. And I yeah. am just blown away. I, I'm, I'm surprised at the sadness I feel, but I just kind of envisioned you being this child that's alone. And then for you to have to go back and I, I had to do inner child work so that yeah, the best way is to go back and see that child if you can't yeah. love what is now. And I, yeah, I've really learned to love myself and it hasn't been easy. I'm just so grateful. Thank you. you Thank you-, you. It was so nice to chat with you, Lori. Some important things we learned in this interview. If you have an eating disorder, it's not your fault or your parents' fault, and it's not a choice. It's a disorder, and there is hope. Julie's story of recovery is to give hope to those struggling because people with eating disorders feel like there's no way out. To get in touch with Julie, to donate, get information, or get help, go to maryrosefoundation.org. The Mary Rose Foundation inspires hope for a world without eating disorders. MaryRoseFoundation.org.
0: I want you to hear that an eating disorder is not your fault, that you didn't choose to have it and not one thing caused it and that there is hope. First and foremost, my message is one of hope because I never thought I would get better. Honestly, I had some doctors tell my parents that I was never going to get better. And that is not true. I did get better. There is hope no matter how ill you are, no matter the things that are going on in your head, because I felt so trapped I felt like no matter what I did, no matter if I wanted to get better or not, I felt like the eating disorder was so strong that I was hopeless. And I want you to hear me that you're not hopeless, that the person in your life that you think is never going to get better, they can. They can get better. And there is a life on the other side of an eating disorder.
1: I'm Lori Hardy. Thanks for listening today. We hope you've learned something new. And join us again next week as we continue to talk with people that are making a difference in our community.